G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. A lesson in faith through the father of a dying boy. This is Leading the Way. This man's faith on behalf of his son is recorded here in the Word of God, in the Scripture, for all generations to read and to learn from it. This man's persistence in prayer on behalf of his family and behalf of his son is a reminder for all fathers and for all mothers to remind us again the way God responds to this type of faith. Welcome to Leading the Way with pastor and author Dr. Michael Youssef. Parents, when the kids are sick, we'll do just about anything to help them get well, won't we? And that was the case with the man you'll hear about today. You'll be introduced to a nobleman for King Herod, which is a cabinet officer. He realized that only Jesus could heal his boy. And his faith is a powerful encouragement for those of you who may need healing in your life and family today. John chapter 4 is where Dr. Yusuf takes you to today. Let's listen. It's become a trend of late for some of our television networks to run public service announcements emphasizing children. One of them actually conclude with words like uh, put children first or children must come first. And everybody says, well, isn't that great? I'm not really sure. You say, wait a minute. How come any emphasis in children could not be just good? Because their emphasis and the philosophy that's underpinning their emphasis is wrong. That's why. It is wrong because... They say that children and how they feel about themselves is more important than anything else. So you have kids who can't read or write, but as long as they feel good about themselves. (laughs) How can they feel good about themselves? They can't add or they can't subtract, but that doesn't matter as long as they have a positive self-image. How can they have a positive self-image when they are lousy academically? See, the underpinning philosophy is lousy. It is wrong. And sadly, I want to tell you, there are so many well-meaning churches that have fallen into that trap, that have followed that trend. It's sad. Because when the emphasis is on pride and not God's glory, we're in trouble. When the emphasis is on our own independence, not our dependence on God, we're in deep trouble. When the emphasis is on believing in the children rather than believing God on behalf of the children, we are really in trouble. I want to tell you something. I looked in the scripture from cover to cover just for this exercise for this week. I have not seen anywhere in the scripture the Bible said make kids feel good about themselves. I have not found anywhere said the most important thing about kids is self-esteem. I have not found anything that's the most important things about children is that they have a positive self-image. But I'll tell you what I found out. I found out that parents have been asked by God to instruct their children in the Word of God. I found that the parents are instructed by God to teach the children the truth about God and the truth about the facts of history. I've seen over and over again 
that this is the instruction of the Word of God to parents. You know why? You know why? Because when kids are instructed in the Word of God, and when parents do their job in bringing up children in the fear and nurture of the Lord, they're going to feel good about themselves. We emphasize all these good things, quote unquote, (laughs) and we end up with guns and violence in schools. We end up with immorality in schools simply because we are denying reality. And reality is that the horse has to come first, not the cart. Believe in God on behalf of your children, on behalf of your family, is what I want to talk about today. I know this is an important message. I know that the devil did not want me to preach this message, and I won't bore you with the details. But I believe with all my heart on the authority of God's word that the reason we have a crisis of faith regarding our families is because we have placed our confidence in the right techniques. We have placed our confidence on the right methodology. We have placed our confidence on the right programs. There is nothing wrong with these. I am not criticizing them willy-nilly. The question for all of us is this. Do we believe God for our children and for our families? Or do we put our faith in technology? Do we persevere in faith on behalf of our families? Or would you run around looking for a formula, looking for a secret of success, looking for a pill that's going to make your kids turn out to be okay? So if you look at John chapter 4, Beginning at verse 46, you're going to find an example of a father. He did not know much. Did not understand a great deal about Jesus. He did not comprehend quite a bit, actually. But he had one thing going for him. He had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man's faith on behalf of his son is recorded here in the Word of God, in the Scripture, for all generations to read and to learn from it. This man's believing on behalf of his family is recorded in the words of the Scripture as a model for all fathers and all mothers. This man's persistence in prayer on behalf of his family, on behalf of his son, is a reminder for all fathers and for all mothers to remind us again the way God responds to this type of faith. This man, this nobleman, this this high government official came to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, he came as a result of a crisis Faith. That's what I call crisis faith. Faith that is born out of a crisis. This member of King Herod's cabinet could have afforded all the medicine that money can buy. But this crisis in his family, this illness of his son was beyond human help. It was an impossibility for medicine. It's an impossibility for doctors. It is impossibilities for medicine to work in this condition. It is a crisis faith. And when that faith was born, it was a baby faith. And when that baby faith was born, soon gave way to continuing faith. The Bible said he implored Jesus to come and heal his son. 
In fact, one translation said, this man besought Jesus. I looked it up in the original language. What it really means, it's a, it's a clear indication of this man's persistence and persistence and persistence in his request. In fact, it is in the continuous tense. He is continuously asking the Lord Jesus. And then on the surface, you look at Jesus' response and said, what is he, rebuffing him? No. He's testing him, yes, but not rebuffing him. Somebody said, if you really want to increase your faith, you must consent to the testing of faith. And here Jesus was testing this man. He really was. He was testing him. He wanted to know, is this just faith for a desperate need? Or is it a faith that is for good? He's testing this man. Is it temporary faith or is it permanent faith? Is it fleeting faith or is it a continuing faith? Listen again very carefully, please. Believing God for your family must move from crisis faith to a continuing faith. Otherwise, there's something wrong with your faith. Believing in God for your family... Not just when your family is in a crisis, not just when your family is in trouble, but daily, continuously, believing God, trusting God. Not just when you need a way out of difficulties in life, but consistently believing the God who promised and believing the promises of God on behalf of your family. This nobleman's crisis faith gave way to continuing faith, and therefore it developed into a confident faith. John chapter 4, verse 50. Jesus replied, he said, you may go, your son will live. What happened? The man believed the words of Jesus that he spoke, and he went on his way. Isn't that full of simplicity? Okay. Now you've got to read something a little below, stuck away there, that unless you really look for it, you miss it. See, confident faith takes God at his word. Confident faith trusts God even when you cannot see evidence. Confident faith does not doubt in the dark what God has already revealed in the light. Doubt is the enemy of faith. I want to make a statement, and I want you to listen carefully, please. Doubt attacks every one of us. You say, you mean you get it? Oh, you better believe I get attacked all the time. Are you kidding? When I get up in the morning, I'm not attacked. There's something wrong. And if I go at the end of the day and there's nothing really, there's no attack from the enemy, I begin to worry. Because you see, the enemy, if I'm walking with him, you know, we walk in the same direction. He's not attacking me. But if I'm walking against him and I'm walking in the opposite direction, he's going to try his hardest. So the enemy who brings you doubt, doubt constantly needs to be weeded out. Weeds need to be uprooted on a daily basis. Don't let them grow on because they're going to take roots and they become difficult to pull out. But you grow the grass of God (laughs) through the grace of God and you get rid of that weed. Pull them out on a daily basis. How do you then eradicate This termite of doubt that is constantly trying to undermine the foundation of faith. Three things, very quickly. First of all, develop a big vision for a big God. 
until your vision about God is right and the bigness of God, you're going to have trouble. Secondly, exercise faith. Don't just live on the faith of others. Don't try to live on the faith of yesterday. Develop daily faith, daily walk. Exercise your own faith. Test God's words. Take God at His promise and see what God can do. Someone said something that really, I love it. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have their own. (laughs) Number two, use it regularly. Number three, you should never use somebody else's. I say amen to that. Third thing, have someone to walk with you the walk of faith. You cannot do it alone. Crisis faith, when it gives way to continuing faith, it will develop into a confident faith. But then you will find that confident faith becomes a confirmed faith. This member of Herod's court believed God for his family. He trusted Jesus' word. And therefore, it became confirmed later on. Remember I said there's something down there in that passage below that uh, tucked away that you would not notice it if you don't really dig for it? I deliberately lift this up in the air, so make you think, what is it? (laughs) Some of you maybe have discovered it already. When he was talking to his servants, they said, yesterday. (laughs) Such and such happened yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday, what happened? When Jesus said, your son is healed, this man didn't go home. He said, I better go and find out. Is he really telling me the truth? No, no, no. He went on. He's, he went on. He spent the night somewhere else. He slept like a baby. In fact, even in a strange bed. <laughs> he didn't go home the same day. Why? Because he knew that in this confident faith, it will sooner or later be confirmed. <laughs> Hello. You with me? Sooner or later, God will confirm it. You just keep on trusting him. Ted DeMoss, one of great one-on-one evangelist, a great businessman from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He tells a story of how one day he went to do business with a man who was in his house. This man was in his 70s. And in the course of conversation, Ted could never talk about business without bringing Jesus into the conversation. He shared Christ with this man. And this man goes on his knees and he said, yeah, I want to receive Christ in my life right now. He said, boy, that's easy. And then after they prayed, he said, uh, he said, man, I can't wait to tell my mother. His mother? This man is 75 <laughs> He got into the kitchen, and here is this precious lady in her 90s. She had prayed for her son for 70-some years to receive Christ, and it took that long. She never failed. She never failed in trusting God. She never failed. She never gave up praying. Without seeing evidence, she kept on praying. Without seeing results, she kept on praying. How many times have you and I given up? Do you have an unbelieving spouse? Do you have an unbelieving father? Do you have an unbelieving mother? Do you have an unbelieving child? Do you have an unbelieving grandchild? Let me tell you something. God has a purpose for your unbelieving children. God has a covenant with families. Does the devil come to you constantly and say, stop praying for them? Does he come in and bring doubt into your life and say, forget about praying for them? Nothing is going to happen. Tell them, I have a covenant with God. Tell them that 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14, 15, and 16, God made a promise that when one person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, that God has a purpose for that whole family. If God, before the age of grace and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, heard the prayers of Abraham, when he interceded for such a rascal as his nephew Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, if God heard his prayer of intercession, will he not hear your believing faith in him on behalf of your family? Friends, let me tell you something. If Solomon messed up royally, (laughs) and God said to him, I am blessing you because of David. And if God blesses Solomon because of David, will he not bless your forebear because of your faithful prayer and intercession for them? When this nobleman came home, they said the servants came to meet him. You know, because I have somewhat first-hand experience of that culture, I can tell you, I'm convinced in my own mind, they probably went out that day and they thought he's going to come back that day, but he didn't. I bet they stayed out at the city gate all night (laughs) waiting for him to come back. What's wrong with him? Where is he? I mean, he needs to come and see what's happening here. And then they probably were arguing among themselves. said, I got to tell him. No, no, no. I got to tell him. Let me tell him. You know, I mean, they were just literally couldn't wait to tell him. He's not going to believe it. This is incredible good news. He's just not going to believe what we're going to tell him. So he comes in and as soon as they see him, they jump up and down and said, boss, let me tell you. Mr. Cool customer looks at them and he says, uh, when did this happen? (laughs) Boss, who cares when it happened? We want you to know. Aren't you excited? Does it really matter when it happened? Oh, yes, it does. It does matter when it happened because it was not a coincidence, because it was not just a happenstance, because it was not just an accident, because... It must have happened the very moment that Jesus said, go home, your son is living. When a crisis of faith becomes continuous faith and develops into a confident faith, it produces confirmed faith. But naturally and ultimately, it has to be a contagious faith. You see, if it does not become a contagious faith, there's something wrong with that faith. If you're keeping it a secret, there's something wrong, not in the faith itself, or not in the object of faith, which is the Lord, but in the container of faith. Because that faith has to be a contagious faith. You have to spread the germs of faith. Look at verse 53. When the nobleman confirmed the healing of his son. The Bible said, he and all his household believed. In the West, because we have developed this rugged individualism, because that culture of, of, of individualism, not individuality, but individualism, because that has become such an important part of our culture, What have we done? We took that into our faith. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe every individual is responsible for his or her faith. Everyone will give an account for their own life. But nonetheless, there is 
biblical culture, there is biblical teaching that is called household faith. And we tend to ignore that and we tend to move away from that because of the culture, not because of the scripture. If I know anything about the scripture, if I understand anything about the covenant making God, if I understand anything about the covenant in the scripture from both cover to cover, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is this, that God works with families, that God wants to work in families, that God blesses whole families, that God deals with families, that God wants whole families to follow Him in worship. And that is why we must believe God for our family. You see, our faith is not this kind of blind stupidity. No, 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 no. Our faith is based on a promise. And in the promise of God, that as I understand it, that when one comes to the kingdom, somehow the rest of the family is sanctified. That means they somehow, in the economy of God, God has a purpose for them. And because of God's word, we believe it. We trust him for it. Throughout the book of Acts, we see one incident after another. I can give you but three of them that literally stare at me in the face. In chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Cornelius, the very first Gentile to become a Christian. The Bible said when he believed the words of the apostle Peter, he and his whole household believed and were baptized. In the book of Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, some of you might remember when he was about to commit suicide and Paul said, don't. The Bible said that he and his whole household believed and they were baptized. And then again in Acts 16, Lydia, this smart businesswoman in Philippi, the Bible said when she believed, she and her whole household believed and were baptized. God wants us to believe him for our families. Words to lift your faith from Dr. Michael Youssef. This is Leading the Way. Now we know that not all who listen to this program or station may know Christ in a personal way. So if that's you and you'd like to talk with someone about what it means to live and love for Christ, visit ltw.org forward slash Jesus. Just fill out a short form and you can begin a confidential conversation at your convenience, either electronically or by phone. ltw.org slash Jesus. Three things about the role of the priest in the family. Number one, Job was cultivating commitment. Secondly, Job was cultivating compassion. And thirdly, Job was cultivating consistency. These are the three things that Job, the family priest, was modeling to his family. That was just a preview of what Dr. Yusuf will be teaching next time on Leading the Way. Make a plan to join him for this powerful message when he digs deeper into this thought. Today's program is furnished to you by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.